right, so we're going to go behind the scenes of the Pandem Files. My name is Dan Ram, and sitting across from me is... Jewel Sparks. <laughs> so we want to talk about from, from crisis to crisis. So we actually met in the midst of a crisis. We've continued our friendship through a new crisis. The first one was a private crisis. No, not that personal or private. But the second one is, is global. Like, literally everyone's facing it. So the first crisis was what... What happened at 3.30 a.m. in Tirana, Albania, Jewel Sparks? Tell us. Um, oh, my gosh. It was like an earthquake. And I was like, okay, an earthquake in San Francisco, California, I think is going to be a lot different than an earthquake in Albania. And I was right because the next day, you know, I walk outside, you know, there's like little debris like inside the entryway of my apartment, the whole streets. It's like everyone, just the whole tone of the whole community was different. Everything was closed down um, because there were basically no protocols in place and everyone was very traumatized. What we're talking about is a shift. And it's worth noting that for a while we were thinking of calling this podcast the Pandem Shift because when a catastrophe hits, when a crisis happens, one needs to make a shift. So Jules shared that story like an American, oh, an earthquake, an earthquake. So I'm going to share the story a little bit differently because as an Indian, I have never experienced an earthquake. So what happened was I'm a really, really good sleeper. And so I was in bed in an Airbnb that I'd only spent one night in before. So I just arrived in Tirana, Albania. I'd only slept in that room for one night, a.k.a. The reason I'm saying that is there was no sense of orientation. I did not know what to expect, what not to expect. So the next day morning at 3.30 a.m., I wake up and the first thing is the chandelier right above my bed is swaying. And you know when you wake up groggy and your eyes are not fully tuned, you sometimes see weird things. But then the shelf door was opening and closing on its own. And honestly, my first thought was maybe this place is haunted, which is also an experience I've never had before. Well, you've got a swaying chandelier and you have a very noisy shelf that is just banging open, close, open, close, open, close. But then this was the one when I realized, oh boy, it's an earthquake. When I looked out the window and I realized the entire building was swaying. It wasn't just my room, but uh, uh, compared to the building to the left, our building was moving. I could visibly see the building moving. And that's when it hit me. This is an earthquake. And then the next thought, again, Jewel Sparks being American, I guess she knew what to do in, a, in an earthquake. I did not. I did not. Know no, because you went to the window. Like, You're do you, to no, to the I, was looking from, I was looking from my bed. But, you know, like it's shaking. The place is shaking. So I couldn't get out of my bed immediately. So I was thinking, is it best to stay inside? Is it best to get outside? And so... Because I physically couldn't move out because of the shaking, I waited till it paused, and then I grabbed my bag, put the passport, put the laptop, not sure about why the laptop, but put the laptop, and then I brushed my teeth, not sure about that one either, and then I went out, I put on a jacket because it's pretty cold, and then I ran outside, and then I realized all of Tirana, Albania is outside. Yeah, everybody's in the park walking around in the middle of the night, complete darkness. The one saving grace was that phones were functioning because I could not imagine how petrified, not just myself, but my family would be if they couldn't contact me. And so I could immediately contact my family and say, I'm okay, but I have no idea what's going on. And that's when I Google for the first time, what do you do in an earthquake? And essentially I did everything right except brushing my teeth. 
Supposedly that is a non-essential when an earthquake is happening, but everything else, like wait till things pause, don't take the elevator, take the stairs, and then get as far away from the building into a public park is the right move. And thankfully I did all the rest. Uh, Jewel and I then for the next 48 hours, I think that's about as long as I was staying there, not just got to talk about the earthquake, but also continue to experience tremors. Because that's the other thing that we learned is there's like an additional, how many, 200 tremors or something after the average earthquake? Yeah, but can I go back on the fact that you basically looked out the window, then you went to brush your teeth? I like to go back on that because first of all, the first thing you're supposed to do on an earthquake is to drop to the ground. It sounds like you were doing everything else but drop to the ground. And you're supposed to get under your sturdy tables or your bed. Now, so, so my experience was that First of all, the first night I slept like an angel. So when this second night, so I was like all defenses down. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be an amazing two weeks. I made the right decision to come and, you know, support these entrepreneurs. Okay. Well, the second night it was like, you know, middle of the night, like you said, around that time. And I kind of woke up like 20 minutes before the trimmer trying to decide if I was going to get up and go to the bathroom or just like go back to sleep for another three hours. And then when the place started shaking, this is how I know you, you can call me American. You can call me whatever, but you know, you can take the girl out of Kansas, but not the Kansas out the girl. Cause you know, the first thing I did was sit up and I was holding on to my bed post and the pillow. And I just said, Lord, please, I'm not ready to go. It's really not my time. It is not my time. I just got here. <laughs> that was the first thing I said. And then, <laughs> but while at the same time, I was looking for a place to hide. But since uh, this particular apartment building um, was basically something, uh, there was these, uh, the government of Albania had paid years ago for uh, experts to come and build up the community. And so this particular apartment um, was part of a network owned by an Italian family who basically put all Italian furniture. So, you know, Italian furniture, you know, the leather low to the floor, nice glass tables. I was like, okay, I'm screwed. So that's why I think I just prayed because I couldn't fit under the bed and the table next to the bed, all the tables were glass. I was like, well, that's not gonna work. So all I knew I could do was be like, oh, shit, like, uh, please, Lord, please. I just turned my rightful age, which I've been leading up to all my life. I am really not ready. Tell me I didn't come to Albania to, to have my last breath. So <laughs> now back now, fast forward. Yes, there were a lot of tremors post then, you know, afterwards. Um, I think for me, the, the, the scariest thing was seeing a community that really felt, I think, I feel semi-violated, I think, because they really hadn't experienced this before. I don't think the Red Cross really knew what to do. Um, you could also tell with some of the rescue um, efforts that th this was just like an unknown situation. Um, and as you and I met, uh, as we were walking around and everybody did start walking around, but you could tell the mood was just different. And yeah, all yeah. people wanted to do was eat and just really talk about like how they were afraid for their families. I was afraid like you, uh, would my family be able to find me? Because in Toronto, that's the other thing. The addresses don't match up with the Google map, you know? So I think we take so many things for granted. It's the first place I've been where I was like, even the driver from the airport didn't know exactly where to drop me off because of the, 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 the system that they have. And, and, after that experience, I, I, I really appreciated like hotels, for example, 
for the first time. Yeah, at first I was like, oh yeah, I'll be here for two weeks, be nice to have an apartment. But for the you know, but for the first time, I was like, nah, hotels they they can really be beneficial because at least you can tell your family I'm at this hotel. Yeah. <laughs> but they no. didn't know where to find me. I was like, what's gonna happen if something happens? They're just gonna be like, oh, there's someone that's clearly not a banging in the building. Like, how are they gonna identify me? Anyway, it was crazy. So what Jewel and I are saying is in that crisis, that was a reprioritization. In that crisis was an analysis of systems and processes. In that crisis was an education and learning. And one thing is for sure is that crisis will continue. And now we're in the middle of a global pandemic where it's the exact same thing, reprioritization and analysis of systems and operations and processes a learning. And that is essentially what we're trying to do here in the Pandem Files is to work with amazing leaders, decision makers of companies to figure out how are they reprioritizing? How are they analyzing processes? How are they helping their companies survive and in some cases thrive? Yeah. And also the most important thing is we're connecting as well with people across the globe and finding out how they responded. What was their instantaneous um, response when, you know, the pandemic hit and no one really knew. We knew something was coming. I mean, for, you know, it's been suspected. How did people, what were their reflexes and how did they immediately respond when something like this happened? What changed and then without them thinking about it, without them knowing that change had happened. And I think what's really great is uh, throughout the Pandem Files, we're able to explore that. Some people, like their business became even more important and they pivoted. And other people, they also just realized the value proposition of the people that they know, the relationships that they have at work, and the value of even being able to be connected to people real time. And what we've been able to hear from a lot of our guests is that they really have appreciated the time that they've had to rethink what they've been doing in their lives, what they've been doing professionally, as well as the people that they've had in their lives and the connections. And so as we're moving out of the, out of the uh, pandemic, you're seeing a lot of people really embrace and appreciate even their colleagues and the people That's that true. work for them that they've employed. And they've also been able to see kind of the ethical and the moral and like all these other aspects of people that are in their lives that they never got to see before as it was just business as usual. People are getting very creative and doing things out the box and coming together in ways. I mean, just like Dan and I, we like had the dinner the night before, but I mean, like just us being together, walking the streets of Tirana, Albania for two days I mean, our conversations were just really like real conversations, like where we really, it went from like us knowing each other, I think for three days and us actually potentially feeling like we've known each other for five years or 10 years. And that's also the value that these times being in, in a pandemic or as any type of crisis, you really realize you get to see people like who they really are and then even make the decision if they're people you want to do anything with. So I wanted to definitely do something great with Dan. And that's also why we're here doing these uh, pandem files with great people who we've met throughout our lives and throughout our career over the next few episodes. So welcome to the pandem files. 
I hope you enjoy the following episodes as we deep dive into global stories of how to deal with a crisis. Yeah.